You're fed up with a 9 to 5. You've been working hard for years and you're just not seeing the results you want. You want to break free from a traditional career but don't know how? Business Breaks is here to help. Subscribe now and rate and review on your favourite podcast platform. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Business Break with John Byrne and myself, Dan Tehili. Today's episode is going to be an enlightening journey, and we're diving deep into the realm of being smarter with data in your business. In this age of information, where data flows like a river, harnessing its power has become a pivotal factor in determining the success of any venture, big or small. So imagine for a moment your business as a ship navigating uncharted water. Data is the compass that guides your decisions, the wind in your sails, and the lighthouse that keeps you from crashing into unseen obstacles. So whether you're a startup founder, a seasoned entrepreneur, or someone simply curious about the business world, this episode holds insights that will undoubtedly steer you towards making more informed and strategic choices. So without further ado, Let's dive into this illuminating fireside conversation about being smarter with data in your business. So, John, what are your views on the power of data? Hey, Dante. Yes, that's obviously uh, one of my qualifications, like yourself, is a data analyst. So I do think data is very important for lots of businesses. And just to, to kind of uh, frame our discussion a, a little bit as well, anybody who's listening who's you know running a small business or involved in a small business uh, micro business micro companies things like that I think data is just as important for them as it is for the big business a, a lot of people when they're only running a small business you know even if it's a, a local shop or you know a, a small one-man operation will think that oh data analysis doesn't really apply to me because things are too small but you know even with small companies, the, the, the amount of data you have might be small, but the analysis you can do or it can still be very, very important. Classic example I can think of is in a previous podcast, we discussed kind of the 80-20 principle. And one of the things, you know, the, the basics of it is 80% of your profits are coming from 20% of your clients or 20% of your products or services. Well, there's a bit of analysis you already have the data for, and chances are a lot of people in small companies have not done that analysis to find out what is your most profitable service or product? What is, who are your most profitable customers? And if you can know that, you can help grow your company by, by trying to expand on that. And there's a bit of data analysis and most companies will already have that data, um, but a lot don't bother to use it. So, you know, it, it's as important for small companies as big companies. So I think, you know, this discussion, everything, while some of these examples we use may end up being from a bigger company, it will, the, the example, the, the principle will still apply to a smaller company, even if not specifically the example that we're given. That makes complete sense. And yeah, it's understanding what value is being generated from the actions and which ones are generating the most value. So you can ideally do more of them. And uh, on the lesser value activities, you want to either uh, eliminate them completely or outsource them so you can still benefit from them. So, for example, if you have supplementary products and services that don't exactly give you your 80% of profits but actually support it, then you could either look to outsource it or um, streamline it through automation. So, again, it's understanding what are the pain points. And if you just have a generic 
or profits are down, that doesn't help you. It's telling you, I guess it helps in the sense that gives you awareness, but what do you do next? What are those actions? How do you react? That needs to have some form of insight and intelligence behind it. And I guess with small companies, the challenge is really, how do you collect that data in a smart way? And knowing what is that 20% of data points that will give you the 80% of your outcomes. And data really is anything. It can be your customer list, your supplier relationships and their, those connections. And ultimately, data should, to a certain extent, be helping support your business decisions that then lead your business actions that then lead on to business outcomes. So there is a logical flow there. And I think it's compounding because we talk about, say, measures and key performance indicators. It's also understanding what 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 measures are leading indicators and which ones are the lagging ones that actually indicate that, yeah, I'm doing well this month, but then if I ease off, next month could be a bad month because I've eased off because of that lead time. And, and that's something else to consider as well is being able to prepare for things like seasonality and other variables at play that will affect your business because it isn't a linear result, is it? It's something that tends to fluctuate. But over time, if your business is growing and continually improving, you should be trending upwards, hopefully. And and also in the, you know, the, the project management episodes that we recorded, we mentioned one of the biggest failure risks for projects is not doing the analysis. Well, a business is, it's a very long-term project, but you know, it, it's almost whatever way you want to describe it, you can describe it as one very big long-term project, or you can describe it as many projects constantly running in, in thing, but the analysis is just as important. And yeah. you know, said you, you don't know what you're doing if you don't have the analysis. So the data analysis, it, it sounds very formal and it can be. And I'm sure you're, you know, you, we're going to go into some examples later on where it, we are getting very, you know, low level, really into the, the weeds of it. it. It can be, but it can also be quite simple. You know, it's, um, you know, Excel is one of the, you know, I'm not a huge Microsoft fan for, for their software, but you have to give credit where credit is due. Excel is an amazing tool for analysis and, and can do an awful lot of analysis, especially for SMEs, for small and mid-sized businesses, and even for, for large companies uh, from multinationals, they still, on a local departmental level, they, they tend to use Excel a lot. And the amount of analysis you can do with that, obviously you don't want to, you, you don't want to overanalyze every single thing. You do want to be a little strategic, know, know what it is that you're trying to, um, you know, be smarter with your data, as you said earlier, you know, big companies like Google, Microsoft, Amazon, they can afford to just take everything in and they'll do every type of analysis on it and see what comes out for smaller companies and even for, for large companies that aren't big data companies, they need to be smarter with their data. They need to know what is it that they're looking to achieve, specifically what data do they need to achieve that, make sure they're collecting that data and, and try not to be collecting unnecessary data because that just costs you, it costs you time, it costs you space, it costs you money, resources of all different types, it'll cost you to just gather data that you don't need at the store. And we were all the security concerns as well, especially if it's personal data. But even when it's not personal data, it's still just a waste if you don't if you're not actually using it for anything, you're not needing it for anything, it's not required for 
governance or, or anything like that, then don't bother with it. Just stick to the data that you actually need to have and know what the analysis is that you're looking to do, what it is you're hoping, what information you're hoping to get from that in advance. That will save you an awful lot of effort. It'll save you from wasted effort by not having data. But just get the data you need, analyze it, and get the information out of that to serve your business. Yeah, agreed. And for smaller companies, there are accounting tools and apps. I know QuickBooks really has a great selection of tools, Zero as well, that analog- collect your data naturally through, for example, bank statement integration. Also being able to raise invoices from, from the system and then obviously having those customer details stored, you can integrate it with your CRM as well. So then you've got your customer analytics. And then it's really around what data points do you need to pull out and for what purpose if you're trying to understand how much you've sold and to which customers and then looking for trends if we introduce new products and services, will we grow our business, that sort of thing. And then going beyond that to what are our competitors doing? Who's, who, who are they serving? You know, those are kind of external analytics, which you can probably get a, fl- a feel for, for example, by scraping data or even looking at external data, such as uh, customer testimonials, seeing who do they serve and yeah, what, what sort of case studies do they have published to say, well, this was our successes, this is how we delivered it, and you can look at it or even just find contacts really to reach out to and have those conversations. I mean, even interviews create data points if you store them in the right way. So there's a number of methods of getting not just internally generated data from your own transactions, but also external data competitor analysis, potential client leads, that sort of thing. And that's all valuable data because, yeah, if you're looking to grow your business, how do you do that? Well, you're looking for prospects. You're either looking to generate new services to sell to existing customers. You're looking to find new customers to sell your existing products or services to, or you're actually looking to venture into new markets. And that all requires some sort of assessment on risk versus return on investment or return on effort. And that is data. And then on the flip side, if you find your revenues are stalled and you don't have sufficient capacity or funding for expansion, you may be looking inwards to find out, well, where are the opportunities to streamline our cost base and do what continue to service our existing business, but do it in a more efficient way. So looking at where are the opportunities to reduce costs, where are the opportunities to streamline the activities that we do in the back end. And again, that can all be data driven if you have the right data to get that analysis. So regardless of what size business, I think the basic premises are the same. It's just when you scale up, the challenges and the opportunities amplify. But at the end of the day, principles, if you if you need to know where you stand, you need to be able to measure it effectively. And again, that that is at every every step in the cycle from collection to processing to storage to extraction and then to analysis and then communicating that and making decisions. And I guess in terms of your point on Excel, I agree Excel isn't going anywhere because at the price point with all the functionality it has, it's a great tool. Uh, and there's too many 
uh, finance thought leaders who say Excel is killing their finance function. But to be honest, <laughs> I don't see Excel going anywhere just because it opens up for a lot of people, has a low barrier to entry to start with data analysis. And it's it's evolving as well. I mean, you just heard Microsoft announce that it's introducing Python into Excel and that's being shared with, um, shall we say, beta users. I haven't started looking into that yet, but I know it's there. And so you can introduce the power of Python processing, all the available visual libraries, so you can do more data science. And on top of that, it already has quite a powerful suite of tools like Power Query and Power Pivot. But then you also have coding you can superimpose on top of it. The only thing, the only challenge with Excel is just applying best practices when using it for data collaboration and having Excel, unfortunately, the way most people use Excel spreadsheets is they copy the data multiple times because everyone takes a copy of the data and then works on it independently. So there is that also that data security concern, right? So various reasons why Excel might not be the ideal tool in a lot of cases, but for the majority of certainly small businesses with not that many transactions. And don't forget, Excel has over a million rows of <laughs> potential data it can store on one worksheet. It's yeah. pretty yeah. powerful, yeah? I, I would say that that would be the, you know, the, the, where do you stop using Excel and move to something else that's better? It will differ from everybody else exact time, but at a certain point, it, it, you know, you've got so many um, tabs on your Excel spreadsheet or you've so much data in them that every time you change a, something in a, in a cell, it takes too long for everything to update. It, that too long would be dependent on the person. For some people, it could be 30 seconds. For some people, it could be five seconds. It's too long, you know, that they, they want to instant. But at a certain point, it does start slowing down when you have too much data in it. When that becomes a problem for you, how long it's taken to update the, the spreadsheet, then you may need to either start breaking down the data into different spreadsheets or move to another tool that's more capable of handling that amount of data. That's one one measurement that will tell you when it's time to move on from Excel. And the other one would be, as you said, for collaboration, when you have too many people trying to use the same spreadsheet at the same time, um, even when you've got it set up to share in, in the cloud or whatever, at a certain point, there's too many and you're getting in each other's way. There are other tools that are better at that. So that's another sign, move to those tools. But until you reach that from the beginning, you know, for, for starting off on the analysis, up until you reach that point where it's taking too long to update and um, taking too long to save, where it's crashing on you, or it's just too many people involved and you're getting in each other away. Um, Excel is brilliant up until that point. And, and it becomes obvious. It becomes obvious to you when you're using it, at what point it's, it's no longer fit for purpose. And at that stage, then there are loads of other tools. There's EPMs, if you're a big enough business, can do a lot of it. There'll be analytics tools like Power BI that you can move over to. And you know, there'll be lots of other tools that can um, handle larger amounts of data and can handle more people collaborating on the same data at the same time. But it will become clear to you when, when you're using Excel, at what point is Excel no longer suitable? Up until that point, Excel is probably the best value for money on. Yeah, and it also, what you just said, actually, for a number of reasons, strikes up that expression in my mind that a bad word workman always blames their tools. 
And usually a lot of people who are bashing Excel are those who aren't very good at it and tend to be these thought leaders who are more evangelist than people who are in the weeds getting their hands dirty or even trying different things. I mean, I'm currently on a transformation where we're looking at lake house architecture. And even within that, you've got dashboards, as you say, Power BI Tableau. A lot of those dashboards may take a lot of time to render because they've been poorly designed. Maybe they just have too much data that they're trying to process, not enough caching, not enough partitioning of the data points, a lot of redundant or unused um, columns that are just in the actual back end of the data model. And again, this is stuff that can be optimized. At some point, as you say, you get to when you're using self-service analytics, what point does it become a question of, well, 30 seconds to render a dashboard and get a number is too slow for me versus that five seconds. And this is at the this is the level where we're at in terms of how quickly do we get the data? And also, if it's not as quick as we'd like, why is it not that quick? Is it that we need to spend more money on better storage and better better hardware? So more processing, enabling cloud clusters that just cost you a fortune to run because yeah computers that you actually you know you're you're paying you're operating a pay-as-you-go model or service in tiers but if you find that your data demands are growing then your cost base will grow as well and it can be a step increase that at some point it may be that if you do need all of this processing power to get to the insights that you're looking for from your data because it's so large you may need to think about insourcing because having a cost plus model for uh, platforms as a service or infrastructure as a service might not work for you. But at the same time, there are things you can do with what you have. And it's quite a question when we say being smarter with the data, it's how you use it, how you do self-service analytics. Ideally, you want one, one storage of data that everyone can consume from without interfering with each other. And ideally, you don't want to be, and this is what tends to happen a lot with Excel, but it can happen in any sort of advanced analytics architecture, is that you're copying versions of the same data multiple times across your organization because different people are using the same data for different questions in order to get those insights. So again, it comes back to how how is your architecture designed? How do you do your data engineering and how do you best process that data to enable what you need to do with the data being processed? You also, I mean, we haven't gone into data quality, but you also want to avoid spending too much time and definitely too many resources just manually cleaning the data. I mean, that should be automated or just have quality built in further upstream in the process. So I guess are these things that you've come across as well, John? Well, actually, I was just going to say one one of the the biggest things that I I've come across, regardless of whether it's ex, it's Excel, it's an EPM, it's it's Tableau, Power BI, whatever. One of the biggest things I've noticed is that when it gets too slow, when it starts too much data is in it and it's, it's slowing down. And the first thing, as you said, is everybody goes and looks: Do we buy more space? Do we buy more power? Do we buy more this and the other? And an awful lot of the time when I've actually gone in and, and looked at, at what they're doing and, and what's happening is, as you said, it, you know, we, we'll turn into, you know, rows and columns 
and it's they're they're adding more and more roles and they're saying, well, we've just we've more data, so we need more roles, and that's it. And you think, yeah, that that's fair enough, that's fine. But you've got loads and loads of columns. Why do you need all these columns? You're only using, you know, a third of the columns in your actual analytics. And the other columns aren't needed to link things. And and the answer is, well, they come with the, you know, that's how it was set up with the thing. And you think, well, you know, if you took out all those unnecessary columns, there'd be a lot less data in it and you wouldn't need to pay the money to to upgrade to the next level. The one you've got would be perfect for it. And, and so that kind of goes back to a little bit of what we said at the very beginning of the thing. Mate, don't have unnecessary data. Make sure that and you know what it is you're looking to get from it and only take the data you need to achieve that. That will make, if, it's, if you're using spreadsheets, that will make your spreadsheets last longer before they become unsuitable. If you're using a much more powerful tool, it will mean that much more powerful tool will will last longer before you need to upgrade to do it. And and, and that is something that no matter whether it's a small company or a large company, it, it is a, it's a source of problems for, especially when it's grown organically, when it's not somebody who's come in and planned it out from the beginning. It's something that was planned out many a, a long time ago and has just then grown organically over the years. Um, like in EPM tools, they use them for, you know, SPNA or in the planning and analysis. And the, the, it, it is a, the underlying structure is, is you know, it, it's a database. It's exactly like a normal database, but it's set up in, uh, you know, star schemas and, and snowflake schemas, as they're called in, in technical terms. But one of the things that that does is, and they're usually being constantly managed by people. And one of the things that that means is they're only bringing in the data that they need. So they're using the EPM, they're taking their data from, ERP systems, accounting systems, CRM systems, HR systems, they're taking all the data from them. They're only taking in the data they actually need to process and to analyze the plan. They're not taking everything in from them because if they took everything in from them, it would be slower than the systems they're taking from for creating reports and stuff like that. So when it's being managed by somebody, that's what they're doing a lot of the time. They're constantly rejigging that scheme in the background, getting rid of data that they found, oh, we don't need that data anymore moving data that he used constantly together closer to each other in the tables, various things like that. Smaller companies or even with large companies when it's a departmental a team spreadsheet or a team thing, that constant rechecking doesn't tend to happen. It just grows organically and then when they have problems, they have it. But it should, you know, even on a small scale thing, be constantly looking at your spreadsheet and thinking, do you actually need all the columns on that spreadsheet? It reaches a stage where, no, actually, we never use that column. It's not needed to link out and we don't create a report out of it. We'll then get rid of it. And then your spreadsheet will become a lot lighter and it'll be able to process. Because even if you're not using that column, when you change everything, the spreadsheet doesn't know you're not using that column. It has to run all the formulas, all the algorithms that you've got in it across, even for that form, for that column and to make sure that if, if that did change in it, it's being taken into account somewhere. So spreadsheets as, as powerful as they are and databases and the rest of them, they're incredibly dumb. They, they, even when something is not being used, they still need to go and check it if it's there. So if you don't need it, get rid of it and that would speed up things or stop them from slowing down. Yeah, it depends as, uh, though. Uh, I've seen the data engineers extract like into data lakes. I mean, data lake architecture um assumes that you just put all the data into the lake from the storage there are part. exceptions yeah yeah for storage from the storage part yeah and that's a data lake is a very specific type of thing but still even when you've got that data lake if you've got the analysis software at the end so say you've hooked up uh, power bi or tableau tool to a data lake 
you should not be taking all the data from that data lake in. You only take the data you actually are going to use in your analysis, in your graphing, in your thing. And be careful of that. And, and that's where a lot of people come drop yeah. down. They tend to take way too much data in and not realize that even though it's not being used in your end analysis tool, it is slowing things down because your analysis tool is too dumb to know it's not being used. It still needs to go through every column. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's the good thing about a data lake. It superimposes. You've got the raw layer, which is just dump everything in, see what you've got. And then you can do the processing, which streamlines those data tables to, as you say, remove redundant data or unused or un ex unnecessary data. And then you can start making that data available or even creating assets. And now these assets usually are, so it depends on the kind of architecture you're using but the assets can be you know ready-made data tables where you don't have to create joins or do any any sort of data enrichment where you're blending with master data to get the i don't know the descriptions etc which is a lot of what happens i used to do in our excel with vlookups i have a list of transactions and it's a raw transaction file I don't have the GL accounts. I don't have the customer names, so I need to superimpose them, and therefore I need to do a lookup. If I if I don't have a database, I'll extract it into Excel all these transactions, and then uh, and then get the customer names, the account descriptions, and then determine well what are my sales by which customer, and then break it down into sales and costs, and see what does the analysis tell me. And if there's any gaps in the data, so for example, certain, I don't know, sales discounts not applied to the correct customer, for example, or any rebates that haven't been properly accrued for. So yeah, when you're doing these accounting adjustments, you're trying to do both the statutory adjustments and the analytical adjustments. But at the end of the day, you need to know with the data that you have, what are the, what are the answers? And again, it's just putting that information into your hands and then uh, being able to uh, communicate that to the people who need to know that data i think coming back to you know my time as a management accountant to try and put in some real world business examples into that but this is the sort of thing that fpna teams do day in day out right they and for that they need the data uh, but it's the same for any team right that's why you tend to have various systems, whether you're sales and marketing or customer services or operations, you need to know how well is my team doing, what's their output, and how does it compare to the capacity that they have? Are they being productive? Are they are they moving the organization forward and achieving the outcomes that we need them to achieve in order to remain competitive and be profitable? But yeah, it's uh, a lot of it is really having the right data being able to be smart with it, how you process it, how you structure it, how you organize the data. And then on the output side, once the data is ready, what is it telling me? And what do I need to do with that, with what it's telling me? So there's another piece really around, well, as you grow the organization, it's understanding, well, does this data influence my actions? And if it doesn't, why do I have it? <laughs> so a metric might be nice, you know, for example, Oh, I've got this many leads. All right, this many leads, but have you got any conversions? No conversions. So what does that tell me? I need to 
need to improve my conversions or find better leads, <laughs> something like that. And and also even, you know, given our backgrounds, we've been kind of a little heavy in our examples with financial data, but any kind of data was that like basic one would be, especially for small companies, because a lot of them will will either run themselves or will have outsourced to somebody a website. And if that website is your kind of poster to the world, a marketing thing, well, then you will want some data from that, um, especially if you start a marketing campaign and advertising. But there's an awful lot of data that can be generated from a website. And there is a tendency on them for people to do a, you know, a data dump, give me everything. You can go, hang on. Yeah. Everything is an awful lot of data. Do you really need everything? If you're, if you're doing a marketing campaign, do you really need to know what browser people are visiting you from? You know, technically your, your website should be done to web standards. So it doesn't matter what browser they're visiting you from. So you don't need that information to be able to create a website that will fit that browser. You should be already doing it. And do you need to know what operating system they're using? But not unless you specifically targeted say Mac users or you specifically targeted Windows users, it doesn't really matter what operating system. For an advertising campaign, you, you know, off the top of your head, the, the key things you probably want is the numbers. So are the number of visitors has that gone up? And where are they from? You know, if you're a UK-based company and you sell stuff into the UK and you engage in a marketing campaign, yes, your visitors have quadrupled on your website, but they're all visiting you from Canada. It means your, your advertising has gone to the wrong place. Something is wrong there, you know, and, and that's what you're, you're gathering that from to see is your marketing campaign working and is it working in the right place? And so that specific data, and, and if you take the whole, all the data from the website, if, you, if you're, if you've outsourced it and you're getting all that data, you can lose that important information in this sea of other data that's completely irrelevant for what you're trying to achieve. So that, that's a kind of another example where, you know, be specific, know what it is you're looking for first, then know what type of data, what data is going to give you that information, and then make sure that that's the data you're getting and that you're not taking too much other rubbish data. That's not necessary. And and that will apply, you know, larger companies probably be better at that because they will have outsourced to people who look after a whole marketing campaign. Smaller companies, though, would probably have only outsourced the website. Their marketing campaign may not really be outsourced fully. You know, it's, it's the content maybe is being outsourced, but not somebody to actually go and measure and, and do all that type of stuff. Especially if you're a very small company, you probably are doing a large chunk of it yourself. You may even the website yourself, you know, like you've done it or that's also to it. Just as another example, that's not all finance information. Sometimes it's completely other types of data um, that are just as important to other com- you know, companies. It's just we're going to be heavy on our examples with finance because of our backgrounds, but the principles apply to every other side of that. And you're right. We d- And that brings up another topic about like natural bias. <laughs> Because of our backgrounds, we are naturally going to draw examples from finance, but as you say, and and the same could be said for digital marketers. Mm. I'm talking about websites and then landing pages, A-B testing, that sort of thing. But also, you know, operations people, they'll be looking at logistics costs, looking at um, lead times in terms of delivery. And that will be something that the, the listeners even, you know, they'll all have their own biases and if they're going away to do that analytics, they, they just need to recognize that they're going to be biased in favor of what they are good at. Mm. And and that can be both an upside and a downside And that if, if it's what you're good at, you've actually got, a, you know, you, you could initially just want everything 
because you're good at it and you can do everything, but make sure what you're doing is relevant to yeah. the needs of the business. But the other thing is as well that when you're coming in and you're trying to deliberately pick an area that you're not good at, still be get advice from people who are good at it. Be selective. Yeah, when people kind of go into an area where they're dairy themselves are not fully confident, they also have a tendency to, to, to take everything because they don't know what's important. So I'll take everything. But then you can get you can drown in all that data that you you're not able to figure out what is important, what are the trends. You've got too much of it or too many trends. So it will be deliberate about, about that. And I think that was why, as I said earlier, that was is one of the biggest problems. It's rare that people aren't getting the data they need. What's usually the problem is they're taking too much data and the data they need is lost then in it. That the important trends are lost. They're just one line and we're a hundred different trend lines all in the graph. And you're kind of thinking, yeah, but 99 of these trend lines are completely irrelevant to what you're trying to find out. So get rid of them. And then suddenly you have this beautiful trend line that you can see and that's what you want and that's what you need to, to do. So whatever that trend line happens to be. Yeah, you want to just stop getting distracted by the outliers and just focus on really what are the main things, as you say, back to 80-20 is what's your, what's your core objectives and how do you measure how successful you are against them or what is that gap between your target state and your present state and how do you move that forward? What actions are improving it? What actions are not improving it? And how do you keep monitoring it to make sure you're on track and this as you tweak the models and tweak your actions? How do you make sure that if you're off, if you're going off course again because of those, you know, incremental adjustments, how do you make sure you're back, getting back on track, you know? And I think, you know, beyond the fancy stuff, it really is how much data do you need? If you're you're looking to solve, I don't know, a four-figure problem or a five-figure problem, you don't need a data scientist or someone who's into advanced analytics to solve that. You just need the right amount of data that can give you an approximate, directionally correct answer. <laughs> that says, yeah. I mean, I remember working with a data scientists, and to be fair to this young person, they were fresh out of college. Uh, so had graduated, knew their stuff, obviously statistical analysis, working with R and Python. But yeah, when uh, when they were looking at the same data I, I was using, they... They were saying why are sales negative and they didn't even know about basic concepts like debits and credits. So obviously revenue is presented as a negative number because it's a credit and they just saw it as negative sales and they were panicking because they didn't understand the direction <laughs> of, of a ledger transactions. And again, um, that's not all data scientists, but you know, there are things like that that kind of highlight um and the, yeah, and that, you know, that works even for, you know, not not even with data scientists. So that would work with, you know, somebody listening here who is just going to go back and use Excel, understand the data, you know, that that's a key concept that you've done that, especially if they're doing stuff in an area that they themselves are working. So mm-hmm. if it's an accountant who's looking to do the data from the marketing plan, you know, know what they are, what is a negative? Is The negative number might not necessarily be a bad thing. And, uh, you know, in our example, revenue is a negative number. It's definitely not a bad thing. The higher revenue is, the better. Uh, so do understand what it is that you're looking for do, to, to do, understand the data, and then understand what analysis work that you're trying to, to really have to understand it. So while your example was a data scientist and people thinking, oh, yeah, we're not going to be doing that, it equally applies to uh, the junior who comes in and just 
opens up a, a spreadsheet and starts working on it, they need to understand what that data is showing them. The amount, the, the types of algorithms they're doing might be a lot simpler, but the understanding of the data needs to be there. Otherwise, it doesn't matter how simple your algorithm is, you're going to get the wrong interpretation of the data. Yeah. And then uh, coming down to the how how good the data is, I mean, we've got, there's a couple of concepts. One is data quality, data governance. This is probably more for larger organizations. But as you say, if you're dealing with personal data from your customer, like the contact details, things like that, you, you want to make sure you've got it secured properly, especially if there are, you know, cybersecurity risks are a big thing nowadays. And you want to make sure you've actually secured the data properly in case of any breaches. But at the same time, there's another concept is making sure that there's no gaps in your data as it's passing from your database into an application that's analyzing it. So going back to QuickBooks, it comes up with its own ready-made suite of dashboards that will give you some analytics on where your spend is going, how it's been classified, how much cash you have, how much cash you're going to spend. Uh, the, which is great for smaller businesses. You don't need to go into customer profitability, although I think it does that as well. But again, as organizations expand, getting that data out and then being able to get a consolidated aggregate view of your business becomes more problematic because on one hand, you've got the granularity of transactions. You may want to slice and dice by customer, by product, but you might not have that view because of a couple of things. One is large organizations have big accounting teams that quite rightly have to make manual adjustments and they might not post those entries at those granular levels. They will do an aggregate adjustment to sales, but it's not broken out by customer or product. So you don't know, well, to what extent does that attribute to your customer? So you don't have a very clear view of customer profitability, at least not one that reconciles to the reported sales and cost numbers and that's always been a disconnect between business and finance teams but then at the same time you've also got the idea of timing where finance teams tend to report on monthly cycles and there's the business need data much quicker than that probably not real-time information but certainly at least on a weekly or even daily bit basis they need to know where are they trending towards their targets at the end of the month or the quarter? So I guess there's different requirements, different intervals, shall we say, on the reporting uh, to meet different needs because certain actions are in almost real time, whereas, and by real time, again, sorry, I don't mean, when we talk about RTP and real-time processing, we're not talking about streaming data. Um, finance teams do not need to stream data batch processing is sufficient enough and actually on a recent episode i recorded with a data expert he said 95 of business use cases batch processing is more than sufficient the only time you'd need to do real-time processing is if you're streaming data um, like a, such as a streaming service like twitch where you need the data in real time <laughs> When you're broadcasting, shall we say, you need to know the numbers of people viewing, what the level of engagement is, where the drop-off is happening, and why, so that you can analyze why it may be happening. Because those are like minute by minute, second by second, where are people sort of losing interest in what you're doing? And I suppose as well, there's the old adage from 
from accounting where it applies to everything to do with data analysis. It's garbage in, garbage out. If the data that's being put in is is no good for analysis, then you're not going to get a good analysis out of the system. Typical examples are, you know, again, like you said, for, for the larger companies, especially the large teams, are, you know, people, when they're making the last minute adjustments, they don't go down to the granular level, as you just mentioned, that, that's needed for the analysis. And also, they, they oftentimes, I've come across them where they tend to have a catch-all department. It doesn't actually exist as a department. It's just when they need to make an adjustment to their department, they make the adjustment and they don't have time to go and figure out, well, you know, these these expenses actually weren't part of our departments. They belong to some other departments. So I'm taking them out, but I don't have time and I don't, don't care what other departments they are. I'm just throwing them into this department. This is the catch-all, the whole all department. But then when you come to do the analysis of who needs to go down their expenses, you can't do it because, and, and it's a business process problem. So that's another talk that has to be put into it that do you have the data sufficient quality? If you don't, why not? And if it's something like that, that people are just not putting, they're not putting enough thought, they're too rushed. You know, that always happens at one end. They're too rushed to be doing this. You need the overall figures to be correct. You don't have time to be worried about the, the detailed figures. And, but then that means when somebody comes along afterwards to an- analyze detailed figures, they can't do it because they, they've got garbage. They, they've just got a whole bunch of uh, totals. They don't have the actual breakdowns. So then that's a business process problem and something needs to be done where you either need to decide, you know what, we're not doing that analysis because we can't, or no, that analysis is too important, which means we need to give these teams more time to give the proper breakdowns when they're making their adjustments um, or somebody has to come along afterwards and fix it. You know, something, but to, to know it exists that what's happening is it's not going to give you a good analysis. It's useless data that you end up with. And this is where it can get dangerous that you have this secret mind mark between FPNA and accounting because FPNA don't process entries. They're not accountants. But at the same time, they're relying on the numbers that accounting produces. So whilst they see discrepancies and they can question whether something looks right or not, generally speaking, they won't be in a position to fix the data. And sometimes there's a risk that errors can slip through on the analysis. As you say, if costs are being hidden or not being recorded, they're happily meandering along (laughs) saying, yeah, profits are good, profits are good. Oops, suddenly a last minute end of year correcting entry wipes out the profit on a department that they thought was doing well. And and that can be a problem as well, even with other systems, with CRM systems, for example, that, uh, you know, and I'm guilty of it myself because I'm a small company. So when I'm putting in information, a lot of the time it's, it's irrelevant to me where the, usually for suppliers, supply, my supplier list is bigger than my customer list. And then, you know, it's irrelevant to me what city, you know, it, it gives a full address. I don't do a lot of analysis for that, so I don't need to worry about it. But if, for example, you did, you wanted to know, you know, customers by city or suppliers by city, but it turns out the people who enter the data just skip the city. Yeah. But then you, you've got a load of blank cities. It's garbage in, garbage out. If that's important to you, you need to make sure that the people who are entering the data realize how important it is and have KPIs set that, you know, they, they, they have to, they have to complete all. This is the key data elements. This is what's required. A lot of systems, you know, like the QuickBooks and, and things like that. They won't actually, they, they have all the the slots that you need for full addresses or for telephone numbers or whatever, but they will not necessarily give you the option to make some mandatory and some not mandatory. So you're going to have to do that as a business process, that these are mandatory fields, even though you can skip them it, technically in the thing. If you skip them, there's going to be repercussions when we come back to you. 
the other one was the, the biggest one for data transformations and I'm sure you've come across it as well for moving data from one to the other was telephone number because everybody who enters a telephone number enters in, in a different yeah. some do the, the plus three five the, the, the plus and the international code and then the things others lead out the international code and some put it's like three numbers a gap three numbers a gap and yeah. others just do it all in one big long number and a lot of systems will take every single version that you, you, you throw at it. And then when you come along and you want to move that data from one system to another, for whatever reason, I don't know why you're the analyzing phone numbers, but it's just, you know, the typical example. You can't do it. You have to go and spend ages cleansing that data to get all the phone numbers in the same format. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and the same way, I suppose, city names, some people are counties or, or wherever. Some people will use the full name. Some people will spell it wrong. Some people will just use a three-letter code. That's obvious to them. And that can cause major problems if you're looking then to analyze, you know, customers' pairs by city. Because it'll consider, like, for me, Dublin is a city. But Dublin, D-U-B, L-I-M, will be considered a different city to Dub, D-U-B. Now, the person came in, it was obvious to anybody reading it, it's obvious D-U-B is Dublin if you're, you know, talking about an Irish city. But to the analysis software, D-U-B is a different city to Dublin. You know, and it'll be the same no matter what. So it's that it's that type of thing. You you um, when you need data, you need to make sure people are consistent with how the data is being put in. Now, sometimes that can be fixed with drop down menus and things like that. But a lot of the time, a lot of what you're analysing is free text. Yeah, and that's a, that's a very valid point. And you know, coming back to Excel, it's that's why people use data validations to try and restrict or control the quality of the data entries by restricting it to a limited set of options. And you can do that in data entry fields as well. But a lot of the time, people will f people are clever in the way that they can override controls yeah. just to force something in. They will they will spend time trying to force a wrong entry in just to allow them to move on with their job. <laughs> and like override, yeah. And the last thing is, sometimes it takes them as long to force that wrong entry in as it would have taken them to just go and find out what the right entry was. Yeah. So the brains work that you know haven't got time to yeah. ask. So I'll figure out a way to force the wrong stuff in here to just move on. And uh, yeah, I, I, but there are the challenges of, of data analytics that you do have that, even at small scale things, that that's what will come up. Whether it's big, small, it's the same types of problems, the same types of principles. That you get. And a lot of the time, I mean, even on supplier databases, what I found is that what one process we had was with our ordering system is that we force the suppliers to enter their own details. All we need is like the address and then we the two most senior people in the organization, so the CFO and CEO, and then we'll send them an email, both same email, asking them to complete their own supplier information. Now, realistically, the top, top person of an organization, especially if it's a big company, will not want to be filling in supplier entry data. I mean, this was for a global automotive company who thought, you know, and, and it's funny because they act in a certain way um, that they did when they were like huge relative to other organizations. But then, as you know, other organizations like tech companies have grown and they've outgrown the automotives. They're not the behemoths that they used to be, even having valuations of God knows, you know, double digit billions. But, you know, you've got companies that are mega companies hundreds of billions or even trillion bat dollar companies now so they're going up asking the most senior people in organizations which is okay if you're like a reasonably sized company maybe 
But even then, the most senior people will delegate that to someone else. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to force a responsibility onto these businesses. And that creates, shall we say, inconsistencies on data entry. It also creates some challenges on, because the, the, the thinking behind that is if you send it to the most senior person, that overrides the fraud risk. So, for example, if someone got hold of those uh, data links, they could potentially, you know, enter the wrong information, redirect funds. So, again, there's there's the data security aspect as well. You imagine someone being able to enter into your account if they know which accounting system you use, find out who, who the um, CFO is, try and figure out what passwords could they use, maybe even send them an email saying, you know, your system is, uh, your account has been, your account password is up for renewal, please change your password. So they do it. <laughs> and the link is some sort of, uh, I don't know, it's some sort of monitoring or fake, um, a fake uh, front end. And, you know, they design it so it looks like, looks it's made up to look like your, your, your vendor's uh, site. But then it says, please enter old password and now change you to a new password. And then it pretends it's validated it. And then someone else can go in under those credentials and then log in it's, it's kind of scary stuff i mean obviously this is advanced level phishing and that's one one sort of uh, maybe i'm just going off on a tangent but data is out there and the amount of things you can do with that data is kind of yes yeah, can be can be quite intimidating i guess well that's, and that's one of the things i think that um, especially smaller companies just need to to, to realize is data is not that intimidating it's and everybody has it the scale grows as the business grows, but the what you're doing with the data, why you're doing it, remains the same. I'm ignoring the the Googles of this world, the Amazons of this world. They're doing different things with data. They're a big data company. Their business is, is well, their business advertising and selling, but they're they're it's built on data and what they do with the data. What they're the exceptions. They're the outliers. For everybody else, whether it's a big multinational automotive company or a big multinational pharmaceutical company, or the small local corner shop. It's the scale of the amount of data that they have is different, but what they're doing with it and what they're trying to figure out is the exact same. You know that. Now, sometimes you're so small, you don't need even Excel to figure this out. You know, how, how many, how, how much profits did you make and how many people have you got working for you? There you go. You can you can kind of figure out profits per person in your head nearly, whereas a, a company with 30 or 40 people, you know, needs to do a, a quick calculation to, to figure that out. But you're still doing, you know, those basic types of things. How how much, you know, you're, you're still the same calculations. Again, I'm giving examples of finance because that's what we, we come from. But quickly trying to think, well, how much return on investment are you getting per advertising spend? You know, various things like that. Everybody is, is is kind to figure that out as well. Even a local corner shop, if they take out an ad in a paper, they want to see in a local paper, they do want to see that they had increased customer or something related to that ad spend. A larger company will do a major TV commercial thing, but they still want to say that that brought in some extra customers. So it's it's the scale might be different, but the principles are the same. And, and that's, I think, is important, especially at small companies, because a lot of them will look at all that and they'll hear, oh, data scientists, data engineers, data analysts. I don't have time for that. I don't have money for that. You don't need it. You can be the data analyst if you're using the spreadsheet, if you're you know doing the data. The principles are the same. You, you may be using more simplistic algorithms. The scale of the data might be different, 
But, you know, that's fine. The other thing as well, I, I suppose, just to point out, even when people hear big data and they think, oh, big data, big data is, is some huge thing. Oftentimes, big data is basically just a, a technique. It's, you know, it's can your computer analyze the amount of data that you have? If the answer is no, then you need to use big data techniques. So big data could be as small as two gigabytes of, of data. That if you've got a, a computer with one gigabyte of RAM, it can't handle that. So you need to use big data analytical techniques but you know a lot of people will be you'll, you'll hear big data and that and that'll be off button and you'll realize no but the actual analytics is the same what's being looked to achieve is the same it's just how they're doing it because of the scale and because excel is feature rich that's another downside is is performing calculations live um and recalculating all your cells so if you've got a big spreadsheet with thousands upon thousands of formulas it's recalculating them all the time that's why some people generally set unset the recalculate automatically Mm. because it will slow down your spreadsheet so if you do this at that stage at that stage though as i said if if it's being that slow in recalculating then maybe you need to look first you need to look at the spreadsheet itself and see yeah have you got redundant data there that you don't really need because it's going to recalculate everything even cells you're not if there's anything in that even if the cell is blank if the column is there it's going to recalculate even if there's nothing in it it still takes a microsecond to look in that cell and see oh there's nothing in it and so that nothing that needs to be recalculated so if there wants to start it in it it's going to the cell will be live it's going to go into that cell to check and if if that cell is not serving purpose if that column's not serving a purpose get rid of it that's your first thing. If, if it's taking too long, make sure that you've only got relevant data in the spreadsheet. And then if, if you've done that and it's still taking too long, then you're going to have to probably look at upgrading the tool. But, but do not let uh, things like that put you off. It's not it's not rocket science. That, that the science. It's very basic. It's just it's, it's a fancy name coming for something that's been done since time immemorial. You know, people were doing data analysis before computers, before calculators, with pens and paper, you know, with, with, with abacus. But it does get off putting a bit, I think, for smaller companies when they hear all these big things and they look at outliers, they look at the likes of Google going, Oh God, we can't compete with that. And they're they're the- You're not competing. A lot of the cases you it's not it's not your area. Um, and you don't compete with giants by pretending to be like them, trying to copy them without having the scale or the competitive advantages. You just have to compete on your own strengths and serve your own target market by being hyper specific. So the strategy, business strategy, will be different. Um, but yeah, I think I think we've covered quite a bit. Um, probably will revisit this topic uh, another time. But just wanted to get into some just more broader discussion around it. And I think we've covered a lot of good ground. So John, in terms of to wrap up, what are your key takeaways around getting smarter with data? Um. You know, have a look, see what data you have already. Don't start trying to collect more. Wait and see what you have, because chances are for what you need, and you have that data or Then be very specific with what it is that you're looking to achieve. What information are you looking to extract from that data? And then just do that. Don't try to be all things to all people. And don't try to get all the information, because most of it is not relevant. Be very specific. And then you'll keep things manageable. No matter how small your company is, you'll be able to get valid information from your data and no matter how big your company is you're not going to be inundated you'll you'll be able to get reasonable what you need out of the data you already have in a few small cases you might find that you need to either gather more data than you were originally were 
or more likely you need people to just be a bit more careful about how they're entering the mm. um, and that's easily on but yeah don't know how small you are or how big you are the data as it is important whether it's financial data whether it's some other type of data that's in your specific and it's not that difficult existing tools will get you started and scale is the only yeah no that makes sense and from my side i think take a strategic approach start with what you want to achieve figure out where you are determine the gap and then break it out into key definitions of success and figure out how to measure it and then start implementing those measures and gradually work work forward and as you test different actions different approaches start checking against those measures to see if you're actually achieving what or moving closer to your goal so showing improvement and don't get focused don't don't get lost in buzzwords it's as simple as that it's just trying to understand how you define success and reverse engineer that and then measure it to make sure that where you are is is growing compared to where you started from versus where you need to get to to be successful whether that's growing your sales uh, cutting your costs or um identifying improvements in performance or speed to market or whatever whatever it is is your that you define as you know where you're going to where how you're going to compete in your market then and that's it really um and the tech stack is the is is something that's more supplemental because that can change over time but just make sure you've defined those data points that's that's the main thing what dimensions do you need and how do you streamline the data collection process ideally automate it completely if you can so that you're not spending all your time trying to process data you're actually having time analyzing it and ideally if you can get dashboards that are already made even better i suppose the, the one last thing i'll add from my point of view is keep it simple don't overcomplicate it, especially when you're starting don't think yeah yeah like if you if you heard of somebody else or somebody place else doing some amazing things with data don't feel you have to go from zero up to that straight away if you're a small company and you're only starting, keep it simple. Yeah, data is just another tool. It's a means to an end. So thank you very much, John. This has been Business Breaks, talking about getting smarter with data. Thanks, that's it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Take care. Business Breaks, all things business podcast with Dante Haley and John Byrne.